Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Thank you so much. Good evening, church. It's such a privilege and an honor to be here to share with you what I believe God has been saying to me in this time. Um, just a heads up uh, for those of you who are joining for the first time. We are continuing our sermon series called Sermon on the Mount, and I am touching on the next topic called Vows. But I'm going to speak into the vows, and um, I'll get there when I get there. So if you want to just uh, look at the screens and follow with me in Matthew 5, verse 33. It says, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out your vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just a simple yes, I will, or a no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. And I really like this, because he begins by comparing what people of the day were taught to what he's currently teaching. And so um, the whole point behind this message was not to challenge the fact that people made promises or vows or, just, or sworn things, but to challenge their heart behind it. Because he begins by saying, you've also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break vows. And that's because the religious leaders and leaders back in the day would make promises on earth and on heaven and on Jerusalem because they sounded big and fancy, but it was just a cool way to cop out of their promises because they weren't promising to God, therefore there was no one to hold them accountable. And so they would use that sense of, of bigness, that sense of, of, of heaven and earth to almost give weight to a promise that was weightless, that meant nothing. And so what Jesus was challenging was not the act of promising, but the heart you do when you promise. He actually wanted to challenge his people to be such people of integrity people of trustworthiness, people of honesty, that when I say yes, I will, or no, I won't, you know that's the truth. Um, uh, so the reason why I wanted to share with you today is because I feel like this is a big challenge in my life. It's something God has been working on throughout the journey from as long as I can remember. So just a heads up, it gets easier, but it doesn't mean it's easy. And it's a continuous process, just like Jen mentioned about healing. It's an everyday choice, an everyday process. Um, and to build on that, I think the, it's called teaching about oaths, a teaching about vows. But I want to take the vow and the oath to the integrity, because your vow is only as strong as the a vow is only as strong as the integrity of the person making it. And so, integrity is a pretty big word; it's a pretty fancy word. But if you were to take it to mathematics, something I'm not great at, you can ask my parents; they're right there. Um, integrity in math is defined by a whole number like one, two, five, those are integers, those are whole numbers. Those are numbers that if you divide them by themselves, they become one. Um, integrity is consistent. It's consistently being dependable 
and trustworthy regardless of circumstance. Um, James E. Frost once said that honesty is not just not lying, it is truth-telling, truth-loving, truth-living. Um, and what that means is that truth and honesty, integrity, is not just a decision you make one time, but it's the, it's the accumulation of decisions made over a lifetime that makes you. Uh, a, a quote that came, that came one, one evening when I was looking through the Bible and I was begging God to take this challenge away from me was, your integrity is like the GPS your heart uses, oh, the GPS your heart uses to stay on, to, yeah, you please. Integrity is the GPS your spirit uses to keep your heart on track to God's path. And what that means is, have you ever been in an area that you're unfamiliar with, but you have to get to a destination? You don't just kind of put the GPS on and stare at the road and like, all right, cool, I'm going to figure it out. You constantly look, if you're me, you're constantly looking over and saying, I'm on the right path. Is that left turn now? Is it in 400 meters? And that's the same way with integrity, is to keep checking that GPS to make sure that you're on track. Um, to take it to my context and what it means to me, uh, that part where it says a simple yes or no should suffice. Well, to summarize, it says that. And that's cool because... I'm not great at that. I tend to overpromise and un underdeliver. I tend to make promises that I'm not sure I can keep just for the sake of the person I'm speaking to's happiness, for the sake of keeping the peace. I tend to back out of things last minute because I don't feel like it. Um, I'm sure no one can relate to that at all. I'm sure that's just me. But because I'm sharing from my quiet times, I thought I would just you know, invite you all into a little bit of my world. I tend to, if someone's like, oh, we should definitely hang out. I'm like, yes, let's hang. Next week, Saturday. Boom, plan, sorted. My friends are looking at me like, I'm, mm-hmm. And it's true, I will do that because in that moment, I genuinely feel like I want to see you because I love you, my friend. And then I have a really rough week. And then Saturday morning, I have to handle something and I don't do my chores from Friday evening. So Saturday evening, my wife's like, ayo, the dishes. And then it turns out, I don't have energy or time for that person. I didn't feel like I was lying to them then, but at the end of the day, I did lie to them. Or when I said, no, Jason, don't worry, I'll have this thing handled. Don't even stress. Next week Thursday, when you ask the feedback, I'm going to give you all the feedback. <laughs> Next week Thursday comes, Jason's like, hey, Matt, where's that, that task? I'm like, you know, what, so what had happened was, and I can come up with a, with a lengthy excuse, and I'm, I'm pretty good at waffling on the spot and come up with a reason and defending myself, and he would forgive me. I mean, he's a loving, generous, amazing boss who's going to keep me on for another year. <laughs> and so he would genuinely forgive me. And when it comes to not doing the dishes at home, even though Shanice cooked for like three days, she would forgive me if I'm like, can you please handle it this one time? And my friends would forgive me for bailing. And that's great. You know, like, they forgive me, we have peace, we carry on. And that's great for right now. It doesn't look like it's a big deal right now. But when I'm 30, 40, 50, my responsibilities is not, can you come for dinner, but it's, can you pick the kids up from school? Or it's not, hey, can you make sure that this task is done? It's, hey, can you make sure your taxes are paid? I don't know, old people do. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to these, these big tasks, then a simple, I'm sorry, please forgive me, won't, won't cut it. And if you were to take a flight from Cape Town to Sydney, and you were just two degrees off your, your flight path, your trajectory, if you will, you could end up in Russia. You can end up in a whole other continent. And the point of this I'm trying to make is that your integrity determines your trajectory, which will in turn define your destiny. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> and what, what that means is that it doesn't seem like a big deal. If you're two degrees, three degrees, four degrees off from, from, from departure, you'll see Cape Town below. You'll be chilling. You're like, ah, it's fine. We'll fix it when we fix it. Until you're not entering the continent of Australia and it's too late to change your path. And then it's like, oh, flip, what do we do now? We're in the wrong country. And that's actually what scares me the most, is that it's these small decisions every day that build or break your character, that, that, that correct or change your trajectory. 
And I want to say it again because it really sits with me, is that your integrity defines your trajectory, which affects your destiny. Yeah. If you're not looking at the destination when you take off, it's scary. <laughs> um, yes, that's great. It's scary. I want to take this, the story of King David. Uh, great guy. Uh, some of you might know him as, the Bible describes him as the giant killer, the great soldier, Israel's greatest king, uh, what else? Oh, man after God's own heart, you know? Legend, great guy to measure himself up to, great guy to try and live up to, to be like. But what the Bible also explicitly describes is he was an adulterer, a murderer. There were times where he was described to blatantly reject God's will. Um, he, he, his own children committed terrible sins that he almost pardoned. He just pretended to not see. And not to say that um, these bad things and these good things are what weigh up, but I just, I just wanted to take a look at his life and to see why was the Bible so specific about keeping his good records, or his good things on record and his bad things on record. And I want to look at one, I guess, mess up specifically. And so kings back in the day, back in Israel's time, um, they, they would go to war with their people. They wouldn't send their soldiers to fight. They'd fight alongside them. It's actually one of the signs of a great king is one who could fight, a great warrior. Because uh, back in the day, they wouldn't just elect the wisest person. They'd elect the biggest and the strongest because they knew that when push comes to shove, the king would fight alongside them. And so one day, David might have had a rough week to put the Matthew spin on it. Maybe he was just tired. He didn't sleep well, you know? His, his army went to war, and he was like, you know what? I don't feel like I'm out today. I'm going to just hang back my palace. I'm going to relax. My, my army's good. Israel's in the best place it's ever been. Why do I need to be there? You know what? I actually deserve a break. I'm a good king. And, and humanly speaking, I'm sure those things were true. I'm sure he really did need a break. But he wasn't where he was supposed to be. A king is supposed to be out in the field, but he was like, I'm going to take a second. I'm going to just chill. And now, naturally, in my thinking, I would think that, that the issue started there, where he's like, oh, he's not where he should be. What a bad dude. But he, there was no one in place to tell him, hey, maybe you shouldn't be there. It didn't seem like there was an advisor who could come in and be like, listen, chief, like you're supposed to be fighting. In fact, it seems like he was kind of left his own devices as a king, which, you know, is, is not the best route, but it's a route he decided he would walk. And so he was chilling at home, minding his own business, looking out the palace window for whatever, you know, random reason he could be staring out the palace. And he just happened to see a woman by the name of Bathsheba, oh, Bathsheba bathing on the roof. <laughs> um, I, w I want to believe that the person who recorded the story just named that because of the joke, but that's not true. Um, but she was bathing on the roof casually, no curtains, just chilling out free. And he was like, he was taken by her. He was like, I want to sleep with this woman. I want to be with this woman. And so he arranged for her to come to his palace and for him to sleep with her. Two, two slight issues with this, though. Is one, he was married to many, many people. But for two, she herself was married. She had a husband. Uh, he didn't, you know, he's the king. He's, he, you know, people should just submit to his authority. He knows what he's doing. He must do what he wants. So he sleeps with her. She goes home, life carries on. Her husband was obviously fighting the war he wasn't fighting, so he had no idea of this, this treachery, of this, you know, but life goes on. And so what happened was that he would have gladly got, gotten away with this, this crime, this dishonesty, this, this fault of character, this mess up as a king. It's not what you're supposed to do as a king. You're supposed to honor and love your subjects. And he would have gladly got away with it if she hadn't fallen pregnant. Oof. And so I want to I kind of bring something to the light, though, before I carry on, is that you don't just one day have a rough day and then arrange to sleep with someone else's wife. You know, there has to be, <laughs> there has to be steps in place 
that lead you there, right? You don't just wake up one morning and it's like, I'm going to commit adultery. Like, you have to actually get there. And so I'm almost, I'm almost starting to believe that his trajectory started veering off long before any of this. And I think him not having friends along with him might have really aided the fact that he was not on path. Um, and I, yeah, I just want to like, chew on that for a second, where it's like, he clearly was not in the right headspace for a very long time, but there was no one to see, no one to check, no one to, no one to question. And I kind of like that, that, to take it back to the scripture, where it's like, where Jesus speaks about, um, we need to be yes is yes and no is no. And because he showed that character in the beginning, people took his word as yes, and his word is no. Because who's, who are you to question me? I'm the greatest leader. Anyway, that's just my own brain doing the most with that. Anyway, so she gets pregnant, right? She's having a baby. Uriah obviously did not sleep with his wife, his Bathsheba's husband is Uriah, because he was at war. So David actually tried to convince him to go and sleep with his wife. He's like, hey, uh, it's that time, you know, like, you, you want to have a kid, right? You're going to be a great dad. Go sleep with your wife. And Uriah's like, no, I want to defend you. We're at war. I won't leave your palace. And he's like, Uriah, go home. Please be with your wife. Like, you know, trying, trying to look like he's trying to be a good friend when actually he was snaking, in a sense. He was, he was trying to feed selfish game, but he was going for it. He was like, no, go. Anyway, Uriah was so much of a loyal soldier that he couldn't convince him to go home and be with his family. So King David did the only plausible next step and had him sent to the front lines and killed by accident. So as you can see, David really was not on the right path. He was stepping deeper and deeper into this pathway. And naturally, I want to think like, David, come on, bro, you king. What's wrong with you? Why are you thinking like this? Pull yourself together. And then the Lord reminded me that I'm like him. Not to say that I w- I've done anything he's done, but to say that when you're taking st- further and further steps into the darkness, isn't it easy to just keep going and to try and turn off the lights? Isn't it easy to just keep building on your lies and your deceits and to keep building on the now face you presented and is to actually just come clean? Uh, and I wanna, I wanna bear my soul a little bit, kind of express something I've been through was that um, my wife and I have been friends from as long as I can remember. I met her in grade two. She claimed she didn't know me, but I know we did. Um, and in grade five, uh, we met for real, for real, and I liked her. Um, and then throughout high school, we became the best of friends. Like, we'd talk on the landline for hours from midnight to like three o'clock in the morning. We, would, we were literally as close as two people could get. And while I was getting as close as I could with her, I was obviously showing her the best parts of me, the best sides of me. I'm like, this is who I am. And she knew me and she loved me, uh, I hope. Um, but she didn't get to see the side of me that was starting to come out as soon as popularity became a possibility. As soon as people started to notice me as more than just the happy kid in class, I was like, oh, okay, Matthew's actually kind of cool. And so to maintain the fact that people, I wanted people to think I was cool, I started doing things and saying things and spending time with the wrong people and getting into the wrong crowds and going to the wrong parties and doing the wrong things at these wrong parties and just kind of becoming the person who was on a trajectory that was away from what I believe God was the plan for my life and the trajectory I wanted to convince Shanice was on because I wanted to convince her that I got myself together. I'm a, I'm a lovely church boy, like you can trust me. But on the side, I was, I was on my own path. And it was so easy to just lie to her about it because we didn't have the same circle of friends. She wasn't there with me when it was after school, even at school, we were more, we would normally talk like late at night, we wouldn't really see each other at school. And so for me to hold up this facade of the person I wanted her to think I was versus the person I was being was very easy, until it wasn't. Um, after we left high school, obviously, I drifted from that friendship group and started trying to pl- plant my life in that path that I, wanted, I, I believe God wanted for me. But in that time, obviously, as you work on yourself and grow and you grow in intimacy with the person, the truth comes out. 
that's a disclaimer just for everyone to hear. The truth always comes out, good or bad. God, God will always bring to light what we do in the shadows. It says somewhere in the Bible. Um, but so, as those things came up and those things came out, a big part of me didn't want her to know the kind of guy that she was actually getting involved with because I was ashamed of it. I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't think it was something to be part of, and so I lied to her for a, a good but entire relationship dating. I, I was not honest. I was, you know, I was continuing to drift further and further from the lights while trying to pretend that I was on the path until one day all the wheels came off and everything came out. And I can't describe to you how gross of a man I felt. I was like, this person means the world to me and I couldn't show her my world because I was ashamed of it, I was embarrassed. I was a bit in the dark. And then I felt like David there. But I was like, I kinda understand David now. He was a king. Who, uh, if he gets caught out, how's that gonna look? How's that gonna feel? But the cool thing is, much, much like David and myself, when found out, we just went all in with the, with the, okay, this is really who I am. This is everything I can show you, everything I can give you. Because the cool thing about David is that when he was found out, so the story continues. Sorry, to cut back to David's life now. David was, was chilling in his palace one day. He was vibing, talking to his associates, whatever, what kings do. And a prophet named Nathan approached him and told him a story, just a fun little cool story. It was like, you know, so there was this poor guy who had like this one beautiful sheep and then a rich man came and took it from him and then killed him. How terrible is that rich man, eh? And David's like, what a jerk, the worst. He should be put to death. And Nathan's like, ha, 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 is you. And he realized in that moment that God had seen him, God had caught him. And he's like, flip, flip. Oh no, what am I gonna do? You know, like I've been caught out. And instead of trying to hide and lie or just pull the king card, like, don't judge me, I know what I'm doing. He was like, I'm sorry. And he immediately left his throne and went to go sit on a pile of ash and mourn. It sounds, it's what they used to do back in the day to show they were truly sorry. He literally went and begged God for forgiveness. And during that time, he wrote a really cool psalm, because David wrote a lot of the psalms, uh, called Psalm 32. And I'm going to read it to you as slowly as I can. So, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refuse to confess my sin, so I want you to pay attention to this part. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to the Lord, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All of my guilt is gone. Jason often quotes that statement where it's like, when you are honest with God, you're the only one who's surprised. And God doesn't press you and push you to be honest for him, because he knows what you're doing. He pushes pushes you to be honest for you, because God can only truly forgive you when your integrity is tact and you're honest with him. When you're willing to, to sit with what you're going through, God will forgive you, and God will help you along that path. I'm even thinking of that song, Another in the Fire. I know it's based on a whole different story with a whole different meaning. But I almost, I almost like to think of it today as I was listening to it. I was like, it's almost like the fire of refining. Like when gold is purified, it's burnt. It's put in a fire. I also think God is with us in that fire too. God doesn't expect you to sit and get your integrity right on your own time. And you're, you know, like to come to him with, with, with your shining glory. He expects you to come to him with the pain and be like, I suck. And he's like, I know, let me help you. You know? Because that truly is the heart of God. It's for you to say, God, I'm sucking at this. And he's like, you're supposed to. That's why you need me. 
That's why you have me. And to take it back to, to the to integrity affects your trajectory, which determines your destiny. It's those small decisions. I think with every decision you make, if you're not looking back at God, looking back at the GPS, double-checking yourself, it gets very difficult to remain on track, I think. Because I, I, honestly, I don't think David purposely veered off track. I think it, it took a couple things. Small ignoring of this, you know, small, ah, it's not okay, but it's fine. It's fine to get to where he is. And a verse, I got tattooed in my body because I don't get it right enough. And maybe if it's on me forever, one day I'll get it right. But it is Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. And it says, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. I think it's so beautiful because what you're saying to God is not derail me and, and make me, don't condemn me, don't, because that's actually not what you're saying. You're saying, God, there's some stuff in here that upsets you. I know some of it, I don't know all of it. Can you help me? Can you show me? Can you point it out to me so that I can be the better me? Um, I took a quote down that I added to my notes last minute, uh, so it's not on the screen, sorry, um, which Jason told me when I was saying this to him for the third time because <laughs> I needed a lot of help getting this together. Um, he says, who you are shouts louder than what you're saying. So what you tell people about yourself is great. What you show them is what they know, what they remember, what they hear. I think as I come to a close, I want to invite the worship team up. Um, you guys can come hang out with me, or just Tyrone, I guess. Uh, it'll be fun. Uh, Tyrone, please make me sound very fancy. I'd appreciate it. Your integrity determines your? No. Yes, your integrity determines your trajectory, which, you know what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> One more time. Your, your integrity defines your destiny. No, thank you. Integrity determines your trajectory to fix your destiny. There we go. You guys can read. Thank you. It's not like, not like, not like I wrote this down a hundred times. Um, and the cool thing about it is that integrity is like a muscle. So David, again, you didn't turn around, turn back to God and be like, okay, cool, I have integrity again. In fact, I think that's the first step. That's the start. They're feeling bad. Because he felt terrible, clearly, for what he did. Because he messed up. He, 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 you know, he felt bad. He mourned. He cried. And then he felt better. That verse is like a little interlude break between the I confess my sins and you forgave me. That I, that I almost want to believe it's like a breath. Like a, I'm forgiven. All's well. I'm, God is good. I felt that way when all the weight came off my back and I told Shanice the truth. I'm not hiding anything. I feel so good right now. And that's great. Well done on step one of your long journey ahead because that's what integrity really is. It's a journey. It's a step-by-step -step process. It's constantly checking that GPS, constantly checking integrity. Lord, correct me. Lord, test me and know my thoughts. Lord, help me catch it because I can't. And so I've taken a few steps that I feel like might be helpful to help you is, first of all, I try to pray this daily. I'm gonna use the word try very strongly because it's, it's, I'm human, I forget. I have bad days, I have good days, I have great days, I have terrible days. Um, I have some friends alongside me that question me and challenge me. Oftentimes, I'll do something and they'll be like, why did you do that? Or why were you thinking that? Or, why were you there? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. And they're like, no, you do know, think about it. Like friends who are willing to stop me and be like, you're not okay, pull yourself together. Or to stop me and be like, you're doing well, good job. Because you need encouragement just as much as you need someone to, to watch your back. Like, you need someone alongside of you, at least one person, to walk the journey with you. Because it's hard to do alone. If you can't do it alone, it's because you're human. God made us to be together. Integrity is a muscle that you flex in many areas of your life. It's easy to flex it at church, 
when the pastor's looking at you or your leader's like, good on you for arriving on time. Or, you know, when someone's there to tra- track your integrity, it's very easy. But when the same people aren't there with you, like when Shanice wasn't with me at, at the parties or with that lifestyle, it's very easy to let it falter, to let it slide. But who you are shouts louder than what you say. So um, if you're at school and you, you want to work on your integrity there, like, like I, I need to, I'm, I'm still working towards finishing my degree, it's are you prepared for your classes? Simple question. Are you doing your homework? Are you, are you, not, are you paying attention in class? Are you honoring your teacher or your professor or your lecturer for the work they put in at work? Are you arriving on time and leaving on time or late? Are you putting in the extra work? Are you, are you doing the most that the people working around you enjoy working with you? Are you a pleasure to be around in the workplace? Do you make it, the place around you better for those in it with you? At home, whether you're a son, daughter, parents, grandparents, are you loving your family as a verb, not just a noun? Are you showing them you love them more than you're saying it? And I can think of a number of ways, because that looks different for everyone. For some people, it's doing something for someone. For others, it's saying it. It's expressing it through words. There's so many different ways that you can show that your integrity in different areas of your life. And the coolest thing about it, my favorite thing about integrity, is that God doesn't judge you on your integrity. He waits for moments to help you with it. He waits for, for moments that you allow him in to push you to be better. Because we are better because of God, not we're better for God. I just remember that. Like, you are better because God's in your life. I, I want to be a better me so that I can show other people how good God is because of how much he does for me. Like, yeah, that's, that's, like, that's the weight that, that at the focus, if you take nothing, if you don't even take that fun sentence home with you, I want you to take home this, is that I'm challenging you to be a better you, not just for the sake of you, but so you can show other people how good of a God God is for what he does for you. Yeah. So I'm going to close my book. Um, and I'm going to pray for us. So if you want to join me in prayer, that'd be great. So um, thank you so much, God, that you, you're never condemning. You're never, you're never ready to judge or to point out or to fight, that you always want to be there with us and for us, that you believe in us more than we believe in ourselves, God. I pray that as we daily take steps towards trying to be people of integrity, that we remember to lean on you and to trust you, that we allow you to search us, to test us, to point out things that offend you, God. I pray, God, that you bring people alongside of us that come so naturally that are able to question us and to, to bless us and help us, and that we them, God. I thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. God, you're amazing, and we love you. Amen.